Welcome to the Village of Manlius podcast. I am Manlius Village Trustee Hank Chapman uh, here today with our uh, Manlius Fire Chief Jansen Cassells and uh, we're going to just talk a little bit about his time in the fire service, uh, what he's doing here for Manlius and, and you know a little bit more he might want to tell us about the great Manlius Fire Department. So uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? You were just sure. hired, was it last year? Is it two years now? It was two years ago. Uh, I started two years ago, September 1st, you're, you're or October 1st. First yeah. ever paid fire chief in the Manliest Fire Department. Yeah. Tell us, just tell us a little bit about you. A- absolutely. So we just cleared two years here as the fire chief. Previous to that, I worked as a lieutenant with the Fayetteville Fire Department. I was there for about 12. Uh, and then I have uh, a fairly extensive volunteer fire service background, I still volunteer in my hometown in Sherburn, and I have over 20 years uh, in the volunteer fire service as well. So in that time, everything from deputy fire coordinator's ranks, I still work for the state of New York as a fire instructor, and then obviously I've, I've kind of held several uh, officer and leadership roles within the fire service. But yeah, we're actually just past two years. That's crazy. It's Granted, pandemic time adjusts <laughs> yep. a lot of perspectives on that, but yeah, it is nuts. I can't believe it's been over two years already. It, it, it does seem like yesterday and so you're the the first ever paid fire chief in Manly so that's that's different for our department obviously how has that transition worked out as going from you know volunteer chief to the paid chief and you know what are the challenges that that's brought yeah expectedly so there's been some some bumps I would say that they've all been handled with grace uh, and as smooth as could ever be envisioned uh, amongst the players here in the firehouse but even just mechanically, so a place that's got over 200 years of history and through all the, throughout those two centuries has always relied on a volunteer fire chief. There's bylaws, there's mechanics, there's uh, numerous uh, operational documents that really revolve around that volunteer election that's process, true, yeah. that, that internal selection process. And once you transition to a career chief, whether it's me or somebody else, those processes all change. And you don't realize how intertwined all of that is until you start trying to kind of clean that up. And most of those efforts actually haven't been mine. Uh, there's the Manly's Fire Company and their e-board have done great work in trying to make sure that the documents we work off of reflect how we actually perform. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a big change. That's a big cultural change to switch from a volunteer to career. Uh, I, again, I applaud everybody for the acceptance for their willingness to, to work with it and make it the best it is. And I think we are better, maybe not so much because it's me, but we are a better organization because the chief executive officer is solidified, is consistent. Right. Uh, there's no risk of you know an internal election-based turnover. And because I'm able to dedicate, and that was probably the biggest reason to do it, I'm able to dedicate my full-time work right. efforts to everything that goes on here. And so as we go on, I'm sure we'll talk about some of the things that we've done. The reality is the number of hours that get poured into some of that administratively is is really where the benefit is, I think. And from our perspective, obviously, <clears throat> it seems like it's gone smoothly and uh, everybody seems content, happy, and operationally. You guys obviously do a great job, continue to do a great job no, for well, us. Thank you. Thank you. So you, you mentioned a few things, fire company, volunteers, careers. Talk a little bit about the organization of the fire department. How is it made up? I know we're a combination department, which is different than some. Sure. To me, it's the best scenario, uh, that combination department. I I truly believe in that is the best service possible, especially for places like the demographics of Manlius. It it allows you uh, some some 
guaranteed staffing. So based on the career staff. You so know, combination means volunteer, volunteer and, and career. Correct. Yep, volunteer and career. Uh, but as so many of our incidents can be handled with, we'll say, two to five people. Fire alarms, seal alarms, medical calls that resulted in ambulance response because we do provide both ambulance services and fire services, which is, again, is relatively unique in this yep. area. I apologize about the background noise. I understand. Uh, so there, there's lots of things that occur here, which makes us far more efficient than other places. But in that combination setting, uh, we can offer, I think, a much better service. You have guaranteed staff in, in the firehouse that are providing a lot of the uh, regular day-to-day -day stuff, but you still have the ability to kind of pull that trigger, if you will, and, and bring in people from home, bring in the volunteer aspect, and that's not just an alarm response. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of other philanthropic things that go on uh, with the fire service that the volunteer base allows us to do. The most recent example is the is the parade. You know, we did the Christmas parade, being able to pull from that volunteer ranks uh, to help support something like that really helps us in the community uh, interactions as well. So, to me, it's just the most efficient model. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I kind of digressed on the, that volunteer-career kind of combination thing. Yeah. The way we operate is we're a municipal-based service. So the Village of Manlius uh, owns and operates the Fire and EMS service here. We have uh, not unique to Manlius, a separate uh, but very intertwined Manlius Fire Company. They're a 501c3. That is the conduit for us to bring in volunteers. Much of that is, is sculpted around uh, general municipal law that really identified the processes for volunteer fire companies in New York because so many municipalities were incorporating at that time almost solely for the purposes of generating funds for fire protection. Right. So if you look in the history of New York and why these laws, why these places incorporated and became municipalities, it was for fire protection. So so much of that is already in place just in historical New York and we're still living through it today. So we have a, a Manly's Fire Company which does some philanthropic things and generates funds through fund drives. Uh, and other events and is that they're the conduit for the volunteer staff to come in and join us the village owns and operates the fire department uh, and then the career staff obviously work for the village and kind of intertwine with all this stuff so at first it can be a little complicated but it, right. at the end of the day our goal is to really kind of blur a lot of that and just make sure we're all on the same on the same team on the same path and I, I think it's where we're at I think it's where we're headed so following that and maybe this is <clears throat> a simple question, but Village of Manlius is the first incorporated village in Onondaga County in 1813. Does that mean that we were the first incorporated fire department, or that probably I, not necessarily? That I couldn't, I couldn't tell you if we were the first incorporated fire department. It is my understanding, looking through the history, that the drive here in Manlius was to generate funds for fire protection. Uh, so whether or not we were the first, because there were other ways to do that then. Right. They just maybe weren't incorporated through Correct. a village the same way. Correct. And what was unique in the fire service was so many places uh, were like for hire. So you could hire the local fire department to protect your home if it ever caught <laughs> fire. And yeah. you can imagine the complications of somebody notifies the fire department, obviously pre-phones. Right. And they show up and that property didn't hire the fire you department, so they them, left right? and the place burnt down. Oh, so the history they of the fire service. They take services, their buckets of water and yeah, leave. And they go home. <laughs> you know, and there were places that passed local laws that said if you were of a certain age and you know certain body type or whatever, you had to go fight the fire. You didn't have a choice. There was no volunteerism. If you're going to live here, here's your bucket. When the bells ring, then you need to go get the 
go to the water and bring water to the fire. Yep. So the history is unique, but I'm probably more of a buff on that than some others. <laughs> That's in- interesting. So the risk of, again, being a little too sim- simplified, what's the job of a fire chief? How do you describe, what do you do every day as the chief? Sure, everything. <laughs> everything. So uh, everything from being the HR department, to administering uh, and overseeing any policy that affects us. And those policies can be everything from what do we do in a car accident yep. and how do we operate to when do we mop the floors. So in, in everything in between. Uh, certainly uh, commanding incidents. So something unique to us here in Eastern Onondaga County is, again, in this pursuit of efficiency and this pursuit of, of quality service, we've entered a gentlemanly handshake agreement with Manlius, Fayetteville, and DeWitt that we share a duty chief program. Mm -hmm. So historically, we all had numerous chief-level officers. And for a variety of reasons, those numbers have have shrunk. So now, and today's a great instance, I'm the duty chief for any incident that occurs in DeWitt, Fayetteville, or Manlius. I'll be the incident commander. So that's certainly a a significant role. The fire chief is the the person responsible for an incident scene, however big or small that we respond to. Mm-hmm. Uh, ensuring that regular training occurs. Ensuring that the firehouse is staffed or prepared to be staffed to respond to alarms. So, uh, again, I joke with fellow fire chiefs that so many other positions in business have secretaries and HR departments, and this person's in charge of that department. And this per- Here, it's kind of a, you do it all. Yep. So oversee everything fire and EMS within the agency, all the HR stuff from the career staff side of things, payrolls, from the volunteer side of things, making sure that they're meeting their requirements. Uh, and obviously we have a great team of officers that all assist in that, but it, it all funnels through through my desk and then onto the village for anything appropriate there. So uh, probably the other big one is budgetary. Anything budgetary-wise kind of comes through my desk. Right. So, yep. Good. Um, so typical day like at the firehouse, what... Who's doing what? How many people are out? How many people do we have on staff, volunteer, career? Um, you know, what are they gearing up to do? What are they doing when there's not a call? You know, what, what does it look like in the firehouse on a normal day? Uh, to start off, there's no such thing as a normal day, which is the beauty <laughs> of this business. That's, sure. that's why so many people yep. are attracted to it, because it's sure. not the same thing yep. any two days. But we operate with a day and a night shift. Uh, the day shift's about 10 hours, uh, 7.30 in the morning to 5.30 at night. Night shifts 5.30 night to 7.30 in the morning. We target for a minimum of uh, six people in the firehouse. Obviously, again, relying on some folks to come from home for much larger incidents. There's a shift briefing at 7.30 and 5.30 every day that lays out uh, what individual personnel's assignments are. Uh, so are you going to ride in the ambulance? Are you going to ride on the fire truck? Are you drive in the fire truck? What's your job if we get a call? There's a layout of... Station or yeah, station duties. So cleaning, uh, you know, any any things that have arrived that need to be put away, any tasks that need to be accomplished, and then each shift there's an expectation of training. What is that training? What time is that training going to occur? Uh, so that we don't lose those perishable skills that we may not use as frequently as some others. So some great examples of today. Again, it's a combination house. We have some career, we have some volunteer staff here. Uh, they knew that you were coming at eight. At nine o'clock, we have. Uh, an additional contingent of volunteers coming in. We have this beautiful station and a plethora of historical photos that we're going to work on hanging and trying to get those uh, displayed. They have training schedules for 11 o'clock, which is going to be 
uh, ground ladder training because we actually have a couple of new recruits on the shift today. And then any calls that occur within that time span as well. And we try to eat. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, fire call comes. You got career staff that's going to leave from here. You got volunteers maybe from home. That, so we have. How does that? And again, this is part of the model is that if Trustee Chapman were to walk out of my office and go onto the floor right now, he would see a collection of people and aside from maybe knowing them personally, would have no idea who is career and yeah. who is volunteer. Right. And that's with that's by design. Everybody's kind of treated equally. And so depending on what the call is, is going to depend on who responds and how much responds. And again, for a larger incidence, we may expect some folks to come from home. For smaller stuff, it may just be the people here. It could be just volunteers. It could be just career. It could be a combination of both. Yeah. Uh, it, it, if you notice when I, you asked about what the day is and I laid it out, there was no identification of the career staff are going to go do this and the volunteers right. are going to go do that. It is homogenous. The team. It is homogenous. So uh, that's kind of the outlook. And again, the, there is a hierarchy. Yep. So I laid out all these tasks, calls, trump, all of that. Yeah. So, so the pictures... Yeah. will be left on the table, the mop will be left in the hallway, tra- <laughs> we will leave training to respond to alarms. Those will always be the priority. How many um, <clears throat> how many calls do you have in a year? How many fire, how many EMS approximately? I know it obviously varies. And they're, <clears throat> in, they're increasing. Excuse my clicks, I'll give you a relatively up-to-date number. Sure, of course. 20, 2021 has been our busiest year to date. And if I can find my recent board meeting report. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of November, we were at 839 fire responses and 1,597 EMS. So we've exceeded yeah. our 2020 EMS volume by uh, the end of, actually by the end of October, we'd exceeded the EMS volume for the previous year. And I know I asked you this question in the board meeting, but that's not a... An aberration, that's a trend. Correct. Correct. That is absolutely a trend, and, and I can hypothesize that we're both blue in the face about all the contributing factors to that, right. but all indications are that's going to continue. So um, it is up. What's, uh, what, what are your numbers here, volunteers, how many paid staff approximately? Yeah, so we employ 12 full-time paid staff plus myself. Um, we have currently... Uh, it looks like 72 volunteer staff members, and then we have a collection of part-time staff that actually assists uh, as well. Um, predominantly, the, the part-time staff are either people that have retired out of the fire service that are still working part-time, or they're working at another agency full-time, and they help us out part-time. Sure. Um, so that's, that kind of makes up the place. And I know this is open-ended, and it can go a lot of ways, but what, what would you say are some of the challenges you face? In sure. the fire service in general, or specific to manliness, sure. we've talked about some at the board meetings. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So for us, uh, some of the challenges we face are that the collection of trying to provide a transport ambulance service and fire protection, and trying to do it as efficiently as possible, but also not so efficiently that we're injuring the response capabilities of one side versus the other. Mm-hmm. And with these, with the EMS volume raise. That's becoming more of a challenge, as well as the stress that's on the healthcare system in general. I'm sure most people have seen the news uh, articles and the news coverage regarding hospital wait times and how overrun the hospitals are, and that, and that is real. That is not yeah. sensationalized. 
So the other challenge that will always be, I hate to use the word challenge because it has a negative connotation. The other workload uh, is that volunteer piece. You know, volunteers today have a very different set of needs and expectations than volunteers, even when I started in the volunteer fire service. And what we thought of as traditionally how people entered the volunteer fire service and what they were going to do and how long they were going to stay is changing. And this is an industry-wide thing. This isn't unique to Manlius. Right. There are people that, that have studied and, and traveled the circuits talking about some of this. And when I entered, people were staying in the volunteer fire service for 25, 35 years. Uh, you know, Mayor World's coming up on 50 years as yeah. a member in the volunteer fire service. The average span now is less than four years. Yeah. So it is... Difficult and challenging, I suppose, is our accurate words to try sure. to keep up with that and try to make sure that we're that we're meeting their needs so that they can help us provide a service. Um, and that's really what it boils down to. Do you, I don't know if you want to get into or expand a little bit about the <clears throat> the concern with the hospitals. You know, obviously that their their wait times that they're f- uh, facing cause a problem for us yeah. when we're transporting yeah ambulance. so we operate two ambulances and we have a uh what we call a fly car or a medic car which is carries all the equipment of an ambulance just no stretcher doesn't have the ability to transport somebody and so the challenge is when we end up with a crew from an ambulance at a hospital for an extended period of time you know 45 minutes an hour two hours waiting to get waiting, admitted or we are waiting to get the, the patient transitioned over to the hospital that's 45 minutes, an hour, two hours that we're not available to provide service. And the reality is in the grand system, we're a pretty small agency. Right. So if we send, it's pretty usual, we can have two ambulances out at the same time. If they're tied up for now a collective four hours at a hospital, there's now a vacuum of EMS service and manliness. And we're relying on somebody from outside to come in to provide that service. And that's happening regularly where we're going someplace else for the same same yeah. reason. Yeah, it's just a vacuum. Yeah. Uh, we've been fortunate that while we do require help here, we've been able to uh, free ambulances up and come back so that we can provide coverage to our own citizens. But it is it is occurring where somebody else is providing that service because we're simply tied up on, on other alarms at a hospital. So it's and it's systemic. It's bad. It's it's national news. It's local news. Yeah. Uh, the hospitals need some. They, they really need some help because they're stressed and pushed to the max as well. Yeah, for sure. And the split you have in calls that are fire versus ambulance, <clears throat> I imagine intuitively that's that's balanced more toward ambulance over the years, right? That's correct. So right now it's about two to one. Right. So it's about we do about twice as many EMS runs as we do fire runs. Yeah, and historically that was much closer. I assume. Uh, no, actually that number is kind of coming together is it really yeah so historically it was maybe three to one or at times even four to one and again for the same challenges i talked about the difficulties in volunteerism and and training people and maintaining them and uh that's not unique to here so as everybody else faces that the spread that our fire service goes grows as well so if somebody were to call and say that their building is on fire yeah from south of Route 20 to kind of north of the thruway, gotcha. from Syracuse well into Madison County, as soon as they say my you know my home is on fire, then through the 911 system, we're going to be activated for that large of a geographic area. And we're going to be responding to those alarms. So that, that spread that we're providing service grows as well. 
the reality is we're requiring services from that far away if we have a fire yeah. here in Mailness. So resources are coming from that far away as well. Again, not unique to here, and yeah. it's just something that, that drives those numbers up. So yeah. we are seeing an increase in the fire runs as well, which is actually shrinking that gap. Um, so your service area, obviously, is the village of Manlius, a portion of the town of Manlius, and a portion of the town of Pompey. That's correct. But you obviously, by mutual aid, serve areas outside of that significantly. Correct. correct. And on those fire incidents, something that we've... Uh, they've actually made a science of it. So historically in the fire service, we lived off of experience and well, this is what worked for me before. And really the trend over the last 10 to 15 years is to study it scientifically. And there's been numerous, uh, very well done research projects at a national level to figure out how this works And something we knew, but has been verified is we need a certain number of resources and people at a building fire to truly mitigate it. Right. Uh, so that's really driven a lot of this mutual aid stuff is trying to get more resources, not just there, but getting more resources there quickly mm-hmm. so that we can do it safely, so that we're not risking firefighters, so that we are able to, right. to rescue civilians and save as much property as possible. Yeah. At the end of the day, job is get the job done and do it safely. Correct. Um, some of the special programs that people probably don't know that you're involved in in the community, I think of maybe some of the young people that you have here, a uh, program that you have for them, um, some of the programs you do in the schools. You know, just tell us a little bit about Sure, those. absolutely. I'm going to struggle to remember them all. Uh, there, every year there's a junior firefighter camp. So it's a day camp that occurs here at the firehouse, which really gives uh, young local students an insight into the fire service. And it's kind of like a little boot camp kind yeah. of thing. I mean, they are... They do physical training, they, they are put into companies, they have company leaders. We offer an Explorer Post program, which is for students, and that's year-round. The Explorer Post program is year-round for students 14 to 17 years old. I apologize. The, the, firehouse, the firehouse never, no never stops. <laughs> uh, so they uh, offer a, or we offer an Explorer program, which is actually through the Boy Scouts of America, allows people to come in and, again, get a view into the fire service without being fully integrated into it. We have a junior firefighter program, which is for those 16, 17, and 18-year-olds, where they're physically members of our fire company, can actually start taking state-level training and even start to get a view into responding to alarms, just trying to generate that that focus locally and, and at, a, at a young level. We're in the schools regularly uh, in conjunction with the Fayetteville Fire Department, because obviously it's a combined school district uh, offering public education from fire safety to opioid overdoses to the risks of uh, you know any drug or alcohol abuse and that's occurring you know kind of year-round in schools and session that we're involved in those programs we offer a program called every 15 minutes yeah uh, which occurs every other year and it's targeted at the high school age students specifically around prom time to talk about the effects of either drugs or alcohol and and driving and the consequences and that program actually spans several days where fortunately it's simulated. We simulate the deaths of some students and the consequences of driving while impaired and the legal process and the jail time and everything else. And that seems to have a profound impact. Oh yeah, it's powerful. We offer programs to places like Limestone Gardens where we're in there providing uh, some risk prevention measures. 
everything from helping the management assess the building to make sure that they've got it as safe as they possibly can for their residents. And I will speak accolades to them. They do a tremendous job to providing education directly to the residents there, just trying to prevent things from a more fragile population. And we interact regularly with codes. Uh, so we have Mike Decker at the Village Codes Office. Right. Uh, we're currently in the works on a Knoxbox program, which would allow the fire department access to commercial buildings that may not be occupied all the time, but have things like fire alarms so that should that alarm be a nuisance alarm, we can investigate it and clear it without causing any damage by having to kind of force a door open. So those, what we used to call ancillary projects are becoming more the focus. Yeah. Because again, back to the research, yeah. we've learned that we will always have to be reactionary. We will always respond to alarms, but we'll have far more impact if we put preventative measures in place. For sure. So it's it's leaps and bounds. We're, uh, and, and we're feeling it. We're seeing the benefits of it. Good. And one of the things that, you know, <clears throat> from our perspective in the village, obviously, um, you know, we have a great sense of community in our, in, our, in our village, and we always try to find ways to make that better. Um, your fire department's always able to take time out of your busy schedules, you know, to make children happy with our 4th of July parade. You mentioned our Christmas tree lighting where we had the parade of lights this year, which was spectacular, and you guys were the, the, the big head of it all, uh, driving Santa in on the truck trunk or treat you guys participate in things like that um you know really build a sense of community and our fire department is is, a, is an integral part of that and we're very appreciative of all those efforts um so just as we kind of wrap up um you know i may be a little bit biased and i'm sure you are too um but we clearly have the best fire department that there is oh without question. No oh, yeah, without question without question what makes it so? What, what, what is it about our department and our people that makes it so great? And, and just kind of brag a little bit about, about your department and your it, people. It, and it is the people. It, it is the people that have every walk of life that comes through the door. And that's truly the beauty of the volunteer fire service. But we've been fortunate here in Manlius to have good people. And I say it's the beauty, beauty of the volunteer fire service because... You heard my brief resume. Yeah. So many, so much of us on the career side of the house, this is what we do. Uh, and it makes up the bulk of our life. To have people come through here that are business owners, that are doctors, that you know work for public health, or are college students, or I mean, you name it. The, the sky's the limit. They're, they're property owners and they, they take care of rental properties. Or, you know, they have all these different walks of life, this eclectic mixing pot come together is what truly allows us the opportunity to do things like some of the events you talk about because people, I'm not artistic in the least bit. <laughs> so to have a, a master's degreed art teacher as one of our members, of course she has a vision as to how this should all work and it's beautiful and it works out great. Yeah. So that's really what makes us click so well is it pays dividends on the social side of things when we're doing things like parade. And when we go to alarms, to have people bring their individual personal experiences to help us solve the problem is truly something that you, you only get in the volunteer fire service. And then to be able to combine that with the combination career staff, for some, it's, it's what makes us the best. And you've got a good mix. You know, you talk about all the youth programs that you have. you got a good mix of young volunteers. And then you get somebody, like you mentioned, our Mayor Worrell, who's been here now going on almost 50 years, and you've got several other that have been here quite a while, and that institutional knowledge Absolutely. imparted on the younger people 
makes for a great max. Absolutely, absolutely. And even for us, you know, what makes us different than some other places then? Everything that we look at is across the wide spectrum. So if you were to go to the city of Syracuse, they're firefighting geographical areas all kind of there's fire hydrants everywhere it's all urban firefighting you know we have some of that in the village we have some of that in our mutual aid as we head into DeWitney Syracuse and then even in our own first do as we kind of migrate out into the town of Pompey there are no fire hydrants there are you know driveways that are 700 feet long with tremendous setbacks and that changes the dynamic so it makes us uh, more variable makes us better because we aren't handling kind of just a specific style of service we cover everything so there may be times that our staff staff refers to volunteering career could be at a commercial fire in east syracuse that looks as inner city as any place else right in the morning and then in the afternoon be in the town of casanovia pulling water out of some farmer's pond (laughs) to mitigate an incident so having to be that flexible i think is yeah is what makes us versatile is a great great word is what makes us better than everybody else last question just putting on your crystal ball um how do you see fire service changing in the future and what are we going to need to do to adapt what 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 do you see in 10 years five years 15 years what's this what's going to change that's going to be a challenge yeah i I like to think we're ahead of the curve because i think what's going to you see the fire service systemically is more collaboration, more uh, recognizing that none of us do it on our own. As you're acutely aware, we've entered a apparatus replacement plan with the village of Fayetteville, aligning apparatus, A, the benefits of buying jointly, B, uh, the operational successes of having things be identical. We're responding with each other's alarms. We've been doing that for years. I think you're gonna see a continued trend of that. The duty chiefs program is unique uh, in our area, and I think you'll see more things like that start to take place. So collaboration, yeah, sharing, yeah. So money's going to drive it yep. budgetarily uh, to be responsible. Nobody can continue to do things the way we always have, and then operationally, there's tremendous benefit in it. So I'd like to think we're ahead of the curve, but I think you're going to see that ball continue to continue to roll down the hill on everybody having to work together more and share services. Uh, it's the only way we're going to kind of get the job done. Makes sense. All right, Jansen, thank you very much for your time. Um, Next podcast uh, for our year end will be with our county legislator, Kevin Holmquist. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and everybody listening. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. It was very educational. It was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. All righty.